I did it. I hit the record button. It worked. It worked. Are you proud of me? <laughs> Welcome everyone to episode seven of the Euro Whiskey podcast. He's Stuart. He's Harry. Welcome back, everyone. We are welcome back to talk about more whiskey. We are, as as always, online. Your favorite Australian and your acceptable European. Wait, which one am I? We, we were discussing last time. You know, Victoria hasn't seceded and uh, joined the European Union yet, but there's still time. Yeah, well, one day. One day. But we'll see. We we'll see if we uh, if we get rid of the king first, and then we'll talk about rejoining the EU. Is that true? wasn't aware that was something a person could do <laughs> yeah if you could if you could do that do you know just do a solid for like the for the uk that'd be great you know just save them from themselves to to any royalists out there uh i i, I don't apologize the music's bad and you should feel bad <laughs> yeah we don't we don't apologize to royalists. <laughs> last last episode uh, i confirmed that carlisle does not deserve respect and and i extend about the same amount of contempt to uh to the current monarch of of britain so so come at us ever-growing list of enemies on that cheery <laughs> note we're gonna <laughs> catch up what have you been up to since the the last time we spoke Stuart? well my good dr harry uh you might remember august is of course the time of the edinburgh fringe festival and we are well and truly into the the throes of the of the fringe for 2023 uh was lucky enough to spend some time with uh with my wife and some friends last weekend we went and saw a show Got a couple of drinks, had a had a couple of cheeky drams as well, and saw a bit of the town. Uh, as always, uh, the North Bridge going on to South Bridge is the bane of my existence. Yeah, not not fun. One way traffic, and uh, pretty much the same on foot traffic. But once you get past that, uh, the rest of the fringe is looking pretty good this year. Yeah, and I guess I'd forgotten. A, it's my, it feels like my first year without the fringe. Obviously, it isn't. Last year was as well, but I think last year was still too fresh and chaotic we're moving to think about it but yeah it's weird weird being far away from it but then the, like you described there are some parts of it that aren't so fun so don't mind missing north bridge during the fridge no no but yes uh, so that, that that's been my uh my week really a uh, little bit of fringe a little bit of this a little bit of that but uh how about yourself harry uh yeah so, so i've had a busy week planning things i've been planning a lot of travel for uh the next couple of months for whiskey related and non-whiskey related stuff although it's all mixed up now <laughs> yeah and also um at the moment i am in whiskey lab in eindhoven the whiskey shop there so i'm i'm filling in for the owner tom who is uh, away for a few days so if you come to the shop in eindhoven looking for whiskey you find me so very cool that is my latest thing and in my own time i am resuming watching uh, buffy the vampire slayer after the awful witcher season three <laughs> I was going to say controversial take on The Witcher Three, but no, I completely agree. That last, I think that's a pretty unanimous take. Even the even the writer of the season said that. Basically, it seemed like they were just rushing to an end. Things happened. Reasons didn't. <laughs> that's another shit. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 more confusing. It's it's prompting questions rather than answering them. But yeah, yeah, good shit. Looking forward to the the whiskey-related travel that's coming up for our tastings in France and Spain in september and there's going to be some really really nice uh train rides going on which sounds very uh very sedate to say but honestly it's going to be really exciting that that's definitely the preferred method of travel then is uh taking the train yep so it's it's gonna this the, that trip in particular i'll be all across france and into spain then back up to belgium 
for the Ghent Whiskey Festival with the Scottish Scotchmore Whiskey Society. That's all going to be by train, no flights. Very cool. There will be flights at other times, but not for that trip. So that's a cool one. Is there a website where people can track your your train travels? Yeah, you'll see all the details of where my tastings are. The newly published website, which is something I should have mentioned that happened the last week, www.eurowhiskey.eu. It's Euro Whiskey with an E in it now, just for the website. Everything else is how many times you actually type in a full website name, really, you know? But yeah, on, on the website there, there is a tastings page. You can see where the tastings are. And if you follow Euro Whiskey on social media, Instagram or Facebook, ideally, then yeah, you'll see all my latest travels. Lovely stuff. So yeah, everyone head to the website after you listen to this episode, of course, but then... Yes, and on the website, there is our podcast page with little inbuilt players for Spotify and Apple Podcasts to listen to our podcast and links to other places if you prefer to get your podcast somewhere else. So that is also accessible through the website now. Nice one. You've upgraded the website and I've seen that you've uh, also upgraded our recording studio. Yep. Uh, I'm looking at all these things and I want to like press all the buttons. Yeah. For, for reference for the listeners, um, while I may be in charge of Euro Whiskey more generally, Stuart is in charge of the uh, recording setup. He now has these kind of powers. Unchecked. <laughs> this this is going to be... Awesome. I may I may be doing the editing, but he chooses what goes in the edit. <laughs> uh, apologies to to future Harry for all of this editing, but let, let's let's uh, get on to more pressing matters. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about real stuff. Talk about real stuff. We're going to talk about whiskey for this week, and this week we are. <laughs> all right, that's it. <laughs> We're fading into like a sad documentary about something. This, this week, we're going to have a dram from Germany, and that is going to kick off our first episode touching on German whiskey. Have you ever had any German whiskey before, Stuart? Honestly, I'm going to say no. Um, if I have, apologies to, to past Stuart and his very poor memory, but uh, no, I don't think I've actually had any German whiskey. I mean, that's not uncommon. You know, it's one of the key things that stands out about Germany in the sort of Europe perspective is it is the country with by far and away the most distilleries um, of any country in Europe. So is that um, is that just whiskey distilleries, or is that distilleries in in general? So uh, for for all spirits. Well, you, you you've kind of hit on it there, which is that you know obviously in Scotland you have very large scale distilleries. Most of them are solely dedicated to whiskey, but yeah, in Germany there's a lot of distilleries. Most of them are going to make several different things, including whiskey. The number of dedicated whiskey distilleries is comparatively small, and that's actually going to apply to the one we're going to be talking about for our dram today, which is Nordic. N-O-R-D-I-K, Nordic Edelbrennerei, which is sort of up in the north of Germany near Hamburg. So yeah, that is a good example of somewhere, distillery where lots of different spirits are made, lots of fruit brandies especially, and schnapps, whiskey is sort of in the sort of wider range. Very cool. And uh, and I appreciate you were the one that introduced the distillery name because I definitely could not pronounce that. But uh, yeah, very much looking forward to trying Nordic. Yeah, do do my best with it. I feel like... Uh, I don't know sometimes if I'm sort of leaning into it too hard, but I think that's the thing with other other languages and other pronunciations. You kind of have to try too hard and then it sounds better. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's good that you try and you know they appreciate you trying and then they'll bring you back. So it's like yeah. <laughs> and, and then they'll and then they'll say something rude to you. Yeah. You don't understand. Yeah, my German my German is not great. And then they'll say something in German and then all of a sudden it's <laughs> Yeah, I can do. I can think. I know one word in German that would get bleep, but we'll leave it out. Um, yeah. Well, no, it's fine. We got the bleep. We're all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the one saying it, and you're the one bleeping. It. Unless we're impeccable with our timing, it's not going to work. The, the the weird thing is, there's so many distilleries in Germany, right? 
you'll see articles every now and then will just throw out a massive number because no one can track it precisely. No one agrees on what the number is. Like if you look at Scottish distilleries, right, there, there may be some discrepancy a bit, but most of the time, if you pick the same date, you'll be able to find a couple of different news sources quoting basically the same number. Right. Okay. And and roughly, or with the last one that you saw, what sort of numbers are we talking about? So I would think with Scotland, you're talking about, it used to be about 132 you know, I'm back like 2018, which is when I sort of had to know that number more. I think it's up to about 140, 144 now. Give me a second. Yeah, we're probably probably getting close to 150 whiskey distilleries uh, in Scotland. Oh yeah, there's definitely whiskey distilleries. If you counted gin distilleries, it's like it would break a calculator. Like everyone on their mum in Scotland has a gin distillery. I mean, even uh, England last year, I, th- I think it was, overtook Scotland for having the most distilleries uh, in the UK. Right, and they're just... Mostly on the back of gin distilleries, but you know, obviously, as we were talking about uh, previously, you know, there are heaps and heaps of new whiskey distilleries opening up in England as well. Yeah, but yeah, like England has overtaken Scotland as having the most distilleries in general. And yeah, you, you'll you'll see people throw out numbers for Germany like two hundred and fifty, three hundred stuff like this, which they never put anything precise on it. For reference, link to sort of the map that I have for your whiskey. I also have sort of a catalog and a spreadsheet and all this sort of behind the scenes facts and figures or uh, stuff for, you know, uh, looking into all this. Now that does need updating. I haven't updated it for a few weeks and I know there's at least one or two Scottish and German ones which are in, which have been added to the map, but I haven't updated in here. So bearing that in mind, in here currently, I have 151 German distilleries that I've confirmed. They, they might be making dozens of other things, but they're making at least some whiskey. And Scotland, I've got 140. I mean, that's really, really impressive um, from Germany, obviously a, a larger landmass and that sort of thing. But again, you know, as, as you asked before, have I tried any German whiskey? You know, the answer is no. But like for such a large area and for such a large amount of distilleries, you know, even if it's just small producers, you know, that's, uh, that, that actually surprises me quite a bit. Yeah, that's and this is this is part of the thing, right? They have so many, but then you haven't tried them partly because so many of them are so much smaller. Like if you were able to calculate the liters produced per year, again, like Germany would not register compared next to Scotland. Mm-hmm. You know, the output of all Germans, Germany's whiskey distilleries is probably equivalent equivalent to like one medium space side distillery or something. Not maybe not quite that, but it's not far off, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and as and as you say, much larger land area, they're spread out a lot more. You know, I even have the stats uh, on that in front of me as part of my catalog. So, whereas they have 151 versus 140 distilleries, Germany and Scotland. Distilleries per thousand kilometers squared, Germany is 0.42, Scotland's 1.8. So it's way higher density of distilleries. Yeah, there you go. And Scotland has 30 distilleries per million people in the population. Germany has 1.8 distilleries per million po- uh, people. Right, yeah. Massive difference in population and size. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, also living in Scotland, uh, as you previously have and, and as I currently do, I don't want to say it's impossible, but like the access to quote unquote foreign whiskies yeah. is going to be a lot more difficult because, you know, obviously the, the market here is just flooded with your, your, your typical Scotch whiskies and, you know, obviously a few smaller ones and things like that. But you have to actually go out of your way to find uh, international whiskies. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is that almost applies to Germany as much as well because, yeah, the access, obviously, you look up a German distillery's website within Germany. Um, there's not going to be an issue with that, but the demand for imported Scotch whiskey and to an extent Irish and American Japanese is so much higher 
than the demand for locally produced German whiskey that it, you almost get the same effect, even though there's nothing stopping you from buying them. The market just hasn't really shifted to make them easier to access. Yeah, I, I suppose that, that makes sense. I remember going back many years in Australia, it was a similar sort of thing where, you know, even though it was it was there, it was available in certain retailers, but like buying Australian whiskey wasn't necessarily the first choice of many whiskey drinkers because you know scotch has the 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 history and the heritage and american whiskey is quite accessible drinking wise and you know you've got you ready to make drinks and things like that but also the um the price point for australian whiskey if you go back 10 years uh or even you know more recently the smaller size bottles is is notorious for being an issue so you know you're, you're paying more for for quote unquote less not saying it's it's an inferior product for the Australian ones, but you know why buy a fifty cl bottle of Australian whiskey for the same price as a seventy cl bottle of Scotch whiskey? So obviously that is bigger issue if you're a whiskey drinker in Scotland than in Germany, but it does actually hold pretty strongly in Germany as well. Um, although I, I I bet you if if you could track this over the last few years, it is it is an improving situation. It's a situation I hope to improve myself with your whiskey. You could say that you could you could do this about almost any country's own whiskey in, in in Europe. You could say this about French whiskey in France, certainly. You could certainly say it about Dutch whiskey in the Netherlands. Right, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we'll definitely be doing lots of talking about German whiskey at different points on the Euro Whiskey podcast. But yeah, so our first episode talking about it, I'm going to start with one of the best sort of German whiskey experiences I've had so far with Nordic. Nordic. So while Stuart gets his dram of Nordic, I will uh, tell you a bit more about the distillery more generally. Like I said, Nordic is quite close to Hamburg, sort of in the in the north of Germany, slightly just northwest of center. So you go up the Elbe uh, estuary from Hamburg on the S-Bahn. That's how you get to the entertainingly named town of Horneburg, which is where the distillery is. So that's sort of the general location within Germany. If you look on the Eurowhiskey map, which you can do at eurowhiskey.eu slash map, if you look at Germany, the distilleries are not spread very evenly across the country. There's a lot in the south and the west. There's a big sort of belt across the middle of the country where there's almost nothing. And then especially in the north, you know, there's only a handful, maybe a dozen across an enormous sort of swathe of northern Germany. Near Bremen and Hanover, there's nothing. And again, near Hamburg, there's only three or four in the sort of wider area. Um, and this is one of them. So right away, you're in a, in a part of Germany where actually the number of distilleries is comparatively quite low. So it sort of stands out a bit more. This is a relatively small distillery, big enough that again it makes quite a few products. It's got a very you know very nice website. This is not someone's garage. This is not a shed. This is a proper distillery, which is not to disparage the ones made in sheds. I've had excellent whiskey made in sheds, but <laughs> there's a different type of distillery, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, just a, a quick look on their website. I did notice they've got uh, a lot of different spirits and liqueurs available. So it's not just whiskey. Yeah, you know, as as you were alluding to before, you know, yeah. distilleries are you know maybe whiskey is a small part of their production. I mean, these guys seem to have liqueurs of all sorts uh, kicking about. So you know, lo- lots of different things to taste and try. I think it's a strength if if you get it right. Yeah, because for a visitor, yeah, you know, visiting with a group, you know. Maybe they're with your parents and they don't like whiskey. Well, they might like some nice pear brandy, some apricot schnapps, a cream liqueur, things like that. At least those first, the first two of those are definitely present at Nordic, for example. Yeah. I'd, I'd be surprised if they didn't have some kind of cream, cream liqueur. I just don't remember off the top of my head because there's so many. But of course, that does carry the risk, which is definitely going to be true in some German distilleries, though I couldn't say which ones exactly yet. If they make 20 different spirits and whiskey's only one of them, 
the exact quality or sort of distinct qualities of the whiskey could get lost a bit because it can just be treated like distilling anything else, right? Sure, yeah. It doesn't get, there's no distinction between the different products and how they are distilled necessarily. That is a risk. Yeah, and then also it's potentially lost in the shuffle for a consumer because, you know, if, if you've got if you've got too much choice on a shelf, it's almost blinding and, and it's like, okay, well, I don't know exactly what I want, so I'm just going to choose nothing. Yeah, it can, it can be too much, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think we mentioned this on one of our episodes about this sort of applies to, even if it's just a whiskey distillery, the range of a whiskey distillery, some places have what seems like 500 different expressions and it's hard, like, okay, well, which one do I try if this is my first one? You know, I just want one from this distillery. If there's a nice, simple core range with a couple of core products and then, you know, there can be whatever else off to the side, then it really helps sort of stop confusing the, the consumer, especially someone who's new to that distillery or new to whiskey in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely think it helps having a more focused approach to your products. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love having the options. I love having all the choice. But sometimes, you know, if there's 20 products on a shelf, you know, they could be all whiskey or they could be you know, mixed in with liqueurs or schnapps or something, as, as you mentioned. It can potentially be a little bit daunting. I mean, as as we've talked about as well, standing in front of a whiskey bar with over 400 different whiskeys and then yeah and then customers coming in and asking for recommendations you know we're, we're happy to help but you know if they're just standing there going oh i don't know what to what to choose yeah it can be overwhelming yeah for sure so it's it's the sort of the strength or the weakness the risk the reward with this type of distillery which you can see all across germany sorry all across europe but it's very common in germany this kind of you know many diverse products and as you say there's there is that risk of whiskey being sort of lost in the mix. So yeah. I mentioned Nordic is in this, this small town, Horneburg, on the on the railway line out from Hamburg. And the best thing is, right, if you get off the train, the distillery is right there within eyesight. It is literally just down the same street. You get off, you turn your head on the platform, and you can see it. So right away, you know it's not far to go. It's dead easy to get to. Awesome. Fully accessible. So you get off the train. You, If you're in a wheelchair, you could roll right out onto the street up to the distillery and while it is up a level to get in there is a proper wheelchair lift outside to get people in they are accessibility friendly that's good yeah getting people to a distillery if they're really remote you know with accessibility requirements is always gonna be difficult just to get to the address and this time it's easy but there could always have been that last sort of hurdle and there isn't so it's nice to say i can just recommend this to everyone to get there there shouldn't be any accessibility issues ideally for anyone that's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, again, just looking at their website pretty pretty quickly, it seems like they do tastings, they do what they call seminars, so essentially, uh, you know, guided tastings, I suppose. They do, yeah. They're trying they're trying to get everyone involved, which is which is kind of nice. Yeah, they're really good with that, and they actually have some quite so nice. It might sound niche, but they have some quite nice little sort of whiskey experiences or distillate experiences, I guess. On um, You'll see on their website somewhere they have like a cycling tour where you cycle through the fruit orchards where they get the fruit to distill and then you also taste stuff. Oh, well. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I'd love to do that someday, which I, sh- I should use as a little introduction to the people at the distillery. So Nordic is owned by the... Introducing the family. Uh, Nordic is run by Aunt and Leia Vessel. So yeah, it's father-daughter team running the distillery and... You know, family distilleries, not unheard of. Uh, we're going to talk about some other ones as well in a minute. And of course, there are some in Scotland. But I'm more highlighting it because it's 
very hands-on. It's not just family-owned more generally. It's not that there are multiple members of the family doing other parts of the business. It is that the two-person distilling team is this barber-daughter pair. And Leia is, well, at least so this is in January. I went to visit Nordic. Both of them were working away at the stills, making pear brandy, actually. And at least at that time, Leia was only 21 and was already doing all this work. Distilling whiskey, having done a traineeship at Waterford Distillery in Ireland, where they're doing, you know, all this work with terroir, with farm distilling, all this, you know, very sort of high level stuff. It's not just any old whiskey distillery. Yeah. So she got all this experience already. That's such an asset, I think, for the distillery to have. Oh, for sure. I mean, like having such hands-on experience at such a young age, you know, I mean, like we always try and learn as we go, but like, you know, that is literally learning as you go. Exactly. Not only are they really lovely and accommodating to your visitors like myself, which is all the more reason I encourage people to visit Nordic and it's, you know, very accessible, but yeah, great to see, see that at work, uh, working on the whiskey. So with that said, you know, they have a simple range of whiskeys. If I remember correctly, you can check my facts against the blog post I have about my visit on the Euro Whiskey website. With the web that's been changed over, you might not see it online yet, but it will be up soon if it isn't right now. I think I remember that about 10% of their overall production is whiskey in terms of liters and volume, but I think they're trying to increase that amount. And to be it, it, too fair, in terms of what they're producing now, it's probably a higher amount. It's just, of course, what do they have sitting and aged is always going to be yeah, sure. a bit smaller. So we're going to be trying their Rotwein expression, which simply is red wine. Damn it, I was going to say, I've, I've, I've hit up Google Translate and I've worked out that that means red wine. <laughs> you, you don't get like extra credit. You don't get a higher grade for that, sadly. Either. Oh, man. This one is the one that was distilled in 2015 and is bottled in 2020. Yeah. So the Rotwein is a single malt. Uh, by the way, all the Nordic whiskeys are single malts, all pot distilled, all right there in the distillery. They also age everything right there in um, the cellars downstairs in the distillery. Sort of small space, but it's very nice. Is it uh, is it sort of like a dunnage storage, or is it just literally the the casks are rolled in there? Um, it's a bit like a dunnage in the sort of you know the way they're so in a dunnage they are stacked pretty high, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sort of, of course, it's not the sort of thick earthen walls or anything. But yeah, um, I'd say it would it would remind you of a dunnage warehouse. Yeah, and none of their single malts are age statements, but they do say on the bottle when they were distilled and when they were filled. So this one was distilled in March 2015 and bottled in uh, August 2020. Okay. So this is a five-year-old, right? Yeah, five and a half-year-old whiskey, so five years old. If anyone is a bit new to the details of this with whiskey, yeah, you only count the full calendar years. I mean, I guess you could say this is a five-year-old and five months on the on the on the label, but realistically, with years as age statements, you just do the first, you just do the last full year. Yeah, you you round down. Exactly. Yeah. It's if it's five years and eleven months, it's a five year old whiskey, realistically, in terms of the labeling. So this is a five year old uh whiskey in that sense. It's unpeated and the red wine in the name comes from being fully matured in barrels of if I'm saying this right, Spätburgunder, uh red wine. Sounds good. Which that is the German name for Pinot Noir grapes. So it's essentially a first fill Pinot Noir cask. Okay, very interesting. Um I typically find that Pinot Noir uh, as the red wine is typically a lighter red. So you know, you're expecting more lighter fruit flavors coming through. Saying that, what do you what do you think about the color, Stuart? It does have a, a, a small red tinge to it. It's not hugely dark. It's not it's not really dark, but it is a little bit more noticeable than the Coyeta Cask Lakes we just had last week, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And this is and this is a bit older than that. 
yeah, I think that just ticked over the sort of three years and uh, sitting at that younger style as this one is as well. But you know, if it's had a little bit more time in the in the cask and exclusively a red wine cask, you are going to potentially expect a deeper redder color. Now, if I remember correctly, Aunt the the owner and manager of uh, Nordic uh, has sort of a personal connection to the person who uh, runs a vineyard uh, further south in Germany because there's not exactly many vineyards up by Hamburg um, who has this particular red wine. It's not an old red wine they sorted. It's German red wine, and it's one which is sort of connected to the distillery. So it, it really reflects the scale of Nordic being, it's not massive, but it's also not tiny. It's got some ability to, you know, make these connections, distill single malt, age it for more than the minimum three years, and make something quite interesting. What's really cool as well, trying to keep it, you know, relatively local and sourcing the casks and that sort of thing. So, you know, quite impressive for a quote-unquote small distillery. Small, but again, not not crazy small and also is reflected i should say in the prices because looking on their website a full 700 milliliter bottle is 78 euro 50 which you know are there some cheaper five-year-old scottish and irish whiskies because of economies of scale yeah of course but for what it is that's really a pretty good price i'd say so i mean like i'm i'm interested to give this one a try and we're gonna yeah so we're pouring this now i say with the we've seen the color but now i'm gonna be really curious to get um Stuart's uh, notes on the nose as well. I mean, of course, I have tried this, but it was back in January of this year. So it has been a while. And this is going to be at a tasting coming up in a couple of months from a bottle that Nordic have very kindly provided for Euro Whiskey. So we are really looking forward to having more of this. And I should say it's 42% ABV. On the slightly lower side, but still very accessible. It's not, you know, right down at 40. It's just a bit up from there. Yeah. So let's have a nose. We knows. Now, initially, it's very, very sweet. It's the you know the power of suggestion. Being a red wine uh, cask, you know, I am sort of getting that red, sort of fruity berry notes coming through. You know, that that grape aroma coming through as well. Uh, of course, as always, vanilla. There we go. Vanilla. 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 Yeah, we got the vanilla clacks and properly integrated in the show. It's there. So expect that one to pop up uh, again and again and again, pretty much every week. Oh yeah, it's got to be at least once an episode. Yeah, but uh, it's like that's that's on your Euro Whiskey podcast bingo cards. Yep. in the middle. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so yeah, a little bit of citrus, lots of uh, vanilla. Vanilla. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, he's enjoying himself. Oh, way too much. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Again, no, there are those red, those red wine, red berry notes. The um, uh, should I say red currants? Yeah, red currants. But it is, it's darker and earthier than that as well, to be fair. It's not its not all like light, fruity flavors. Like it's sweet, for sure. Like Stuart's saying, absolutely, I'd agree. But it's not that light. It's not like a you get the sort of space-side powdered sugar thing. It's not like that, really. It's a bit more, there's a bit more multi-depth to it in the smell. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe having that uh, all that extra time in the, the red wine cask, it does draw on those uh, sort of more earthier notes, you know, those those tannins and things like that. And I'm not sure what kind of oak the cask was, but I would be—I think it's safe to say it's going to be some kind of European, probably. Yeah, there's a fair chance it's European. Likely, it'll be um, you know, French or potentially American if they're just filling whiskey into it. Yeah, it could be American. It's possible. But yeah, not not too sure on that one. But yeah, and I like, and you mentioned citrus just sort of in passing, but I think actually that's quite a nice way to explain that it has these heavier earthier notes, but the red wine sweetness and a little bit of citrus is maybe what's in there that gives it edge without actually being more sweet yeah 
I think the more I nose it, the more I like it. At first, it was actually a little bit spirity in, on the nose, and I was sort of struggling with it. But the more I stick with it, and my nose adjusts to it, it's it's really, I'm enjoying the nose. Yeah, that's the thing. You, know, you can nose it one time, and, and you just sort of get that initial alcohol burst. But then, yeah, you go back a few more times, gives your palate a chance to sort of adjust and pick up more of the subtler notes. The more I do that, I find if I get really sort of strong draft of it around the back of the nose, it's like this sort of, vanilla citrusy biscuit vanilla there we go with like a, again this sort of tart red currant jam but then you imagine the biscuit is sort of like a multi uh hobnob kind of biscuit that's that's the kind of thing i'm getting down the back of the nose here well i mean i was gonna speak for myself but i'm pretty sure i'm speaking for both of us let's give this one a try let's do it uh, um uh, prost prost yeah yeah see i know okay. what i know what i'm talking about that's a spicy boy Mm, so bear in mind, we said this is only forty-two <laughs> percent. From the from what I can see of you, and what I can feel for myself, definitely feels very warming, very spicy. Yeah, um, could just be because it's the first one that we've had, but it does have that sort of real warming feeling. Good bit of spice on the palate. Yeah. I mean, maybe is that the tannins from the red wine? It could be. Could be. Uh, it does have a sort of a, a dry mouth feel or a drier finish, but it's not sort of like you know. Sahara Desert dry, like you might find in, in red wines. Yeah, there's there's a sort of slowing, like a slowly little bit of dryness comes through in the finish, right? But Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as you say, it's some red wine is really dry, red wine cask whiskeys. Yeah. But not this one so much. No, I mean, the, the finish itself, it's a relatively short one. I mean, the, the warming feeling is staying there, but on the, like, the tongue itself sort of disappears relatively quickly. But the taste-wise, maybe leading into to what we were nosing before, I'm definitely getting more of those uh, sweeter grape notes. You know, maybe a little hint of that malt, as you were suggesting. Tiny hint of citrus at the very end, but of course, everyone's favorite vanilla. Vanilla. Oh, God damn it. Um, yeah. What have you done? <laughs> there are those things, but when we mentioned citrus and vanilla, in my head, that may, that makes me think already of all these very sweet whiskeys. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I said, while this isn't that dry, it's not all that sweet. It's definitely got enough to balance everything, but it's not. It's not the first thing I think of. It's not really sweet. As you were saying as well, it's it's got that sort of earthier note. I mean, it's not peated, but it's sort of like that earthy peat, sort of like real. The floral part of a peat almost? Yeah, it could be, yeah. Um, a little bit. Bear in mind, I can see their tasting notes here. Now we've thrown out some of our own to compare. Um, so they say vanilla. Vanilla. I was, apologies, I was slow on that one. That's okay. I didn't give you any warning. Uh, ripe grapes, nuts, and citrus. There we go. So I think we're pretty bang on there. And I didn't, we didn't say nuts, but I mean, I was thinking that sort of maltiness. I mean, I think that's, that's pretty good. Nailed it. Yeah. So I think we, we hit that one pretty well. Not to be too smug, <laughs> but um, I'm going to be plenty smug. And I say 42%. It's not like the heaviest, thickest mouth coating single malt, but it's got a decent body to it. Um, which the red wine in the cast probably helps. Yeah. I, uh, again, I'm not sure which kind of oak, but I would definitely agree. Um, Growing up in Australia, we always had you know access to really good wines and you know red wines in particular. So that's what I sort of grew up learning to enjoy. And so when I get a red wine cask whiskey, I actually really enjoy that as well because it's got that influence. And and this this one is a, is definitely a good example, even though it is on the the slightly younger side. All of that time in the red wine cask, uh, as you said, it gives it a real depth of character depth of body and uh and some really really interesting flavors coming through yeah nice it's got those those sort of darker notes yeah 
more than just sweetness that it might have if it was like four years in bourbon and then one in red wine, which this could have easily been. But yeah, I mean, I guess you you probably know a bit more about some quality red wines from Australia than I do. Well, I mean, I mean, if it's if it's Australian, it's always good. There we go. That's the soundbite. No, we we know this. We know this. This is why you're here. <laughs> this is why I'm here. That is why I show you my work. That is why you are here. <laughs> the places I've lived before are not been famed for their red wine. No, this is this has turned out really nicely. And again, they have um, some of the other Nordic uh, whiskies. I should say their other expressions. They've got Marsala cask. They've also got peated whiskey. They do make peated varieties. So if you're interested in the sort of heavier, maltier elements of this, it would be interesting to compare with their peated single malt. And I should say they changed the range just a little bit sort of earlier this year. So if you, again, do look at my blog post about my visit to the distillery, um, you'll see me mention on there that there are changes coming up to the particular expressions available, the ones I mentioned back in January when I visit, and the ones that are available now. So uh, this is still there, but you know, just just bear that in mind if you're looking at the Euro Whiskey website and then go to their shop and see something different. Um, I don't know if you've added any water. I just added a couple of drops to to the rest of my dram, and I find that it really opens it up. Um, really, uh, I don't want to say like uh, lightens it too much because you know it's a it's a forty two percent whiskey, so you don't want to add too much water. Otherwise, it's just going to drown out quite a few of those flavors. Yeah, wash it out. You sort of lose that real sort of bitey intensity that I think we were both getting initially on the nose and, and it just brings out all of those uh, lighter, sweeter flavors. But again, not sickly sweet, as, as you were saying, and, and I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting. And yeah, I'm surprised actually. I don't think we've added water to any of the whiskeys and we might have added to Bren, but like not many of the whiskeys we've tried in here have we actually added water to. A couple of the first ones uh, in the first few episodes we were adding uh, water to, but yeah, it just popped into my head, you know, maybe try this with a little bit of water. And I will say it actually does really well with, with one or two drops of water. Yeah, I'm just adding it now and smelling just as, as Stuart was saying that. And yeah, I'm really, it, it's very interesting with water. It's, but you were saying it opens up the lighter notes, which, you know, I, I would kind of expect, but actually when I smell it with more water in it, I'm getting more of the malt, less of the grape, and I'm getting the 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 grape is sort of morphing over. It's almost like a black currant. It's getting darker. So it's like mm-hmm. it, it's like black currant jam on an oat cake now on the nose. I haven't tasted it yet with water. I will say initially when I tasted it again, uh, I've got a sweet tooth, so I I pick out those those sweeter notes. But then you'd, I do find you get more of the malty sort of flavors coming through at the end. The sort of sit at the back of the palate. But yeah, the as you say, that changed the change on the nose really follows through. I think with the change to the palate, yeah, with with water and yeah, it doesn't become that thin really, even with water added. So yeah, I'm for once I'm actually really struggling to tell whether I like it more with water or without. Normally, there's a clear winner. Well, I mean that's I would say that's a sign of a very very good dram if you can add water or you can have it neat and you're you're happy with both. I think I prefer it neat, but I'm happy to think about it. If, if you want to try German whiskey that is definitely going to give you something to think about, uh, you could do a lot worse than a Nordic Rotwein. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I, I say it very often uh, in these tastings, especially with the whiskeys that we have been trying, but I really, really enjoy that dram. That's that's some some great stuff. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> we love whiskey. It's hard to be critical sometimes. <laughs> oh, we can be critical. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we've applied that to the whole city of Carlisle and um, the <laughs> monarchy. So, we, you know, we can be critical sometimes. We 
talking about German whiskey at the start, talking about Nordic, talking about the family team that runs it. And I thought it might just be one other thing to mention uh, before we get to a listener question. Just a, just a few other examples. If people are interested in this and want to go away and look up more about these kind of things, again, sticking with German whiskey, there is a family-owned distillery called Brennerei Henrich, uh, which is like this whiskey, this distillery here, Nordic, is really close to Hamburg. Uh, Brennerei Henrich is really close to Frankfurt. So if you're in Frankfurt and you want to get on the S-Bahn, go out to Hofheim in the mountains of Hesse, well, in the the hills of Hesse, you can go to Brennerei Henrik and they make, again, several different types of spirits, quite similar to Nordic, but it's a little bit bigger of a distillery and they do make, they make whiskey, which is the brand name of Gilors, G-I-L-O-R-S. There's also a blog post about visiting that on the Whiskey website I went in December last year. Um, so Gilo's whiskey, if you like the sort of thing we're talking about with Nordic here, Gilo's also very worth exploring. A lot of sherry cask finishes, some sherry cask full maturations, and some relatively old whiskey as well. So it's German whiskey might be a lot of smaller or newer distilleries in Scotland, but it doesn't mean everything's three years old. There is some older stuff there. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And yeah, especially cool to hear that different styles of casks are being used to mature the whiskey because, you know, as we were saying, the Nordic one is a red wine cask. So access to red wine from across Europe or, you know, the casks from across Europe, as well as the uh, the sherry casks. Yes, I mean, there's there's plenty of wine in Germany and, and people forget like Germany is actually one of the world's biggest yeah. uh, wine producing countries. I mean, people typically think of Germany as being like beer producers, which of course they are, but yeah. They've, they've got everything else. Yeah, and of course, the biggest producers, you know, these places like France, Spain, Italy, California, Chile, Australia. Mm-hmm. But Germany is surprisingly high up there uh, in wine. And you can do these wine cask matured whiskies. And, you know, let's not forget, of course, all these other brandies and things that distilleries are making in Germany. You can use yeah. the cask from them as well. Um, and we'll probably come onto that in Austria as well in a future episode. Watch that space. But yeah, Brennerei Henrik is uh, run by two brothers. It's called Two Brothers. Two Brothers. It's just called Two Brothers. <laughs> yeah, one of them, Ralph, is sort of, the whiskey is his side of it, really. So if you visit Brennerei Henrik, Ralph is the one you can talk to about all things whiskey. And he's a lovely guy. While well, I'd say it's him and his brother who do, who sort of run the distillery as a family business that they've inherited and expanded. Also, Ralph has daughters who have a cask each, which is maturing for them, which I think is just a very sweet uh, idea. Very nice. Very nice. And a lovely gift. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's set aside for them. And as they grow, grow older with it, you know, they can, they can get it when they turn old enough. And um, if I remember correctly, the youngest one is the most into, into whiskey, even though she's still quite young. So yep, yep. that's quite a, quite sweet. So that's staying within Germany and family distilleries. And I'll quickly also mention one other name, which is Bus, uh, which is a Dutch distillery, uh, very close to where I am in the Netherlands, actually because they just released one of their first proper commercial bottlings. Cool. Good stuff. Farm distillery, family run. I don't think they have a farmer daughter <laughs> distilling team set up again, but um, there are there is at least a, a couple of other distilleries across Europe with basically that setup of sort of farmer daughter distilling team, but uh, I couldn't find the information quickly enough recording this episode. So if you remember one, uh, comment. Tell us what it is, and we will mention it in the next episode. Yeah, please do, because I mean, I'm struggling to think of you know family-run distilleries just off the top of my head. I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is Glenfarclas, but you know that's obviously as a Scotch whiskey. Yeah, that's that's got to be a big one in Scotland, isn't it? Yeah. Right. I mean, I know it's owned by a big company, but is is Glenfiddich still technically family-run? 
Oh, the Grant family, I think so. Yeah, it is, yeah. Annoying, because I think the Glenfogdus is a different Grant family as well. And there's definitely a lot more family-owned distilleries across Europe. It's just, again, I, I can't pull 700-plus distilleries out of my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, but I mean, it's, it is it is very cool when you, when you hear about these sort of family-run distilleries or you can see it in action because besides a lot of money, a lot of passion needs to go into a whiskey distillery to actually get it up and running to keep it operational but also to find its its own character so like to have that passion either going within a generation if it's two brothers or you know two sisters whatever it happens to be or even it's if it's across a couple of generations as you said you know father daughter teams or you know it could be you know one of the grandparents starts the distillery and then you know that passion gets passed down uh, through the generation so I, th- I think that's that's a really cool aspect of um, whiskey making not only currently but historically as well yeah, definitely. We'll probably come back to this a few times, hopefully with the podcast to other uh, distilleries, which, you know, sort of expand on this a bit more, but it's just sort of, we're introducing it now in the context of this uh, lovely dram from Nordic that we just tried. Uh, yeah, so I think now we are finally going to move on to question from a listener for this episode. Let's do it. All right, cool. So, uh, Harry, this week's listener question comes from David. And David is asking, which whiskey, uh, doesn't specify European or not, but which whiskey have you tried that you would not want to try again? Oh, now. I, I think this is a good I can think of one European, one non-European that instantly sprang to mind. Well, I think this is a good question for the week because as we were saying before, we can be quite critical. Even though we've been very positive, we can be quite critical of whiskey. So Yeah. But as you said, you've got a, a European and a non-European one. Yeah, we spend all our time uh, gushing about these nice trams, but now we can just be <laughs> critical. Yes, I'm going to start off, um, sadly, in Europe, and I'm going to have to say I tried a dram of Blauer Mouse. Blauer Mouse is literally Blue Mouse, is I think the oldest whiskey-producing distillery in Germany, or it's got some record like that. And um, I had heard really good things about it. Sadly, sort of it got built up for me. And again, I've only tried one of their whiskeys. They have a wide range. This is not me savaging everything from the distillery, but I tried one Blauer Mouse whiskey aged in German oak at a trade show, and I, I don't know what was wrong with it, but I'm, I'm sorry, it tasted awful. I just, I, I couldn't even pick out flavors to really pick on. It was just, nothing about it worked. I'm going to say the non-European one is the Balcones Castrength Rye. Balcones is a very popular Texas whiskey distillery. Very well acclaimed. They make some great stuff. So when I saw they had a cast strength rye, it was on sale in this liquor store in uh, Georgia. I thought, well, it's Balcones. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fantastic. It tasted like dirty puddle water. <laughs> Despite being cast strength, I don't know how you even achieved that. It was like 60% ABV or something close to it. And it didn't even taste like it had alcohol in it. It just tasted dirty. Could have been a poor cask. Something like that. I... Would be my guess. But yeah, that's, that's a shame. Yeah, so that, I guess that was why it was on sale, but... Again, that one's all the more bizarre because I know the other stuff is good. So I just don't understand why that one was so poor. But yeah, that's sorry. That was an absolute miss, Balcones, that one. Well, I mean, for me, this is quite a difficult one because I always like to try and keep an open mind with whiskeys. Like I've tried some that, that I haven't necessarily enjoyed on the first try. And maybe you go back a couple of years in the future or you go forward a couple of years in the future and you try it again. And you go, oh, okay, it's not as bad or it's different than what I remember. So, like, your your perception of things can can sort of change. Oh, absolutely. 
for example, some some relatively young blended whiskey. Uh, yeah, that you might come across maybe rhymes with Bonnie Hawker label. <laughs> you tried hard there. I tried hard there, uh, but like I, I tried that. I welcome our future Diageo overlords. I, I remember trying that for the first time, and I just wasn't a fan. But I need to. I want to go back and retry it because I feel that my perception of whiskey at the time when I tried it is completely different to my perception of whiskey now. So right. I might get more enjoyment out of that. But having said that, I will say there is one whiskey that I will not try again, and that is... Getting all dramatic. That is, uh, that is Krabby's 12-year-old. Ah, Krabby's. Now, I, d- I can't remember if you were still at Sui at the time, but we had this on a staff tasting, and uh, I don't want to say it was universally panned, but it, 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 like, it did not go down well with, with the majority of people that were there. We tried it compared to the eight-year-old Krabbies. I, I was happy enough with. That was, that was nice enough. But the 12-year-old, they were, yeah, again, yeah, similar to what you were saying, it just tasted like puddle water. or like It, it, t- it tasted vegetative, and I was just like, no, this, this isn't for me. Now I will say this is not this is the Krabby's Highland whiskey 12 year old. Now Krabby's for anyone that is not familiar is a lowland distillery in Edinburgh um, who have who have released uh, some of their own stock, you know, lowland whiskey, but they were purchasing uh, liquid from an unnamed Highland distillery and releasing it under their own banner. Uh, I think the 12 year old was the one that had the blue uh, labeling on the box as opposed to the 8 year old that had the red labeling. But yeah, the twelve-year-old. I was. I just tried it. I went no. Yeah, I mean, I I can't remember all the different expressions of crabbies, but I remember trying some that I really mm-hmm. didn't enjoy. But as you say, that was all stuff they'd got bottled in from elsewhere. So I'd be very keen to try some of crabby's own spirit when I can get a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I should say uh, you've reminded me of something mentioning staff tasting, which this doesn't really count as an answer because it doesn't really exist anymore. But if you know Annandale, when they first released their whiskey. Which now it's had years. It's really come on in like leaps and bounds. Um, Annandale today, good product. Happily recommend it. But back in the day when they first released very expensive cast strength, very young whiskey, um, and they had a peated one, three years and probably like seconds. It was so young and really strong. It tasted like mashed potatoes that had gone off. <laughs> and I still have as a prized possession my mini bottle of rascally spirit, which was basically the same thing released as a new make. So even younger given to me by one Mr. McLennan. So that is, that is, that is a great joke dram because it is disgusting, <laughs> but thankfully it doesn't exist anymore. It's just, they just sold it because they wanted to get some stock out. Annandale today, not a problem. Yeah. I, I gotta, gotta say the, the Annandale man of swords, which I think is the peated version, the man of swords, uh, sherry cask version. Oh, phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was always gonna be a good whiskey one. Once it got to the proper point, it just wasn't there when I tried it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. So like we said, you know, we're normally very positive and we always try to be positive when it comes to whiskey, but there are a couple that, you know, as we've just discussed, not to our tastes. And I don't think we can, uh, we can go back to those ones. Yeah, I mean, these are really exceptions which prove the rule, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're having to like think hard and come up with a couple that we would say these, you know, that we can be this critical of because the vast majority of the time, you just say we we want to like uh, a lot of different whiskeys. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing Euro whiskey otherwise, even if I don't really like something for myself. The whole point with Euro whiskey, and I say this on the website, 
is to not try and think, do I like this so much as who is this for? What is this good at? Is there one thing I can single out at least, which says, okay, it is, it is good at this um, because that will work for someone or some occasion. The the couple we've just mentioned that we will want to try again is the very, very few times where we can't find a redeeming quality like that. But 99.9% of the time, that isn't the case. Yeah, that's right. Let's face it. We choose stuff to taste in the podcast probably that we like. So we're not going to try and pick terrible things. There's a fair chance um, of that. But uh, yes, uh, with that, thank you very much, David, for your question. We appreciate you sending that into us. And of course, as always, if you do have any questions for, for either of us, for both of us, for the podcast, please send them through. Uh, easiest way to do that is on Instagram. Just hit us up, Euro Whiskies and Ripper underscore Whiskies. Message us on Instagram, ask us any questions you've got. And yeah, that'll be all for episode seven of the Euro Whiskey podcast, talking about German whiskey and family distilleries and a little bit of critique at the end of a couple of less welcome drafts. Harry, as always, it's been a pleasure, uh, but unfortunately, it's been it's going to be quite sad to finish up. Yeah, was coming. <laughs> Mate, you, make, you make it too easy for me. It's great. You need something really poppy and happy to come back from that and like send people out on. So if you have suggestions for uh, musical stings to put in the podcast, write in. Uh, send us your recommendations. All right, something to get us up and going. Would you better play the lip waiting after that? <laughs> I can do that as well. <laughs> I won't crowbar that in just now, but uh, next time we mention yeah. Lithuania uh, in, in an organic uh, way, then that's the national anthem's getting a good good run through. Yeah, if you're if you're a Lithuanian listener, or you want to talk about Lithuanian whiskey, write in. We're going to have a lot of fun using that drop. Yep. For sure. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you once again for tuning in. Thank you for listening. We always appreciate it. Uh, as always, yeah, send us your questions. Let us know if there's anything you want to hear about on the podcast. But otherwise, uh, I think that's been pretty good. That's been pretty good. He's been Stuart. He's been Harry. I've been Stuart. We've been Euro Whiskey together. Goodbye. Bye. Honestly, I'm going to say no. Oh, no? Like and subscribe. Smash, smash the like button. Not a- Slap like now and subscribe. Please listen to our podcast. I take it back. Well, that's an interesting question. Have you seen my shirt? I need a shirt that says something along the lines of, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. The flyers are asking a lot of questions that are answered by my shirt. <laughs> just like, I just want to get in. I just want to get out. Scandalous. Well, I mean, I mean if, it's, if it's Australian, it's always good. Well, no, it's fine. We've got the bleep. We're all good. I'm back. Hello. Hello. I'm going to try it anyway. German whiskey. And gas. You. Yeah.